0: Love black queens with introspective See the world from a dope perspective Type that's real heavy on the intellect We can't be the only ones. I'm Gail. I'm B. And thank you for tuning in again. And we have a really exciting show today. But before we get started, as always, we have our moment of gratification. Mm-hmm. Why are you looking at me? Because this is your go. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I I, I would have to say my moment has to be centered around peace. I have really started to understand trust and believe in peace.
1: That's a good thing.
0: And that it starts with you.
1: That is absolutely true.
0: It's not about the people around you, the places that you're in, because wherever you are, you put yourself. Unless you've been incarcerated, that's another thing. Then you have to find a different kind of peace. I hope I don't experience that again. But I am very grateful for it. I'm grateful for the friends that I have that bring peace, our peace and and share in that and and you as well be have i spoke to uh, my group this morning and mentioned you thank you and some of the positive things that you have brought thank you so i i really this week has been a week of peace
1: good good everyone deserves peace no matter what um I am grateful for the other 23 chromosomes that Alina carries, which comes from her dad. Um, I'm grateful for her dad um, this week. Um, as I think I touched on prior, we broke up very early on, but we have been able to sustain and cultivate a co-parenting relationship that i don't know of many other people being able to do the way we do and it hasn't been an easy process but um i mean i was talking to him yesterday regarding alina and i was just so grateful of the path that we've come and how we're able to communicate regarding her and always keeping her at the forefront So I am grateful to my baby daddy um, for being an amazing person to Alina, which in turn ends up making my life better as well. So I am grateful. I did really good when I picked him to be Alina's father.
0: You chose?
1: Yes, you choose who you
0: are. And that's that's an awesome thing to say. I, I hope he listens and hears it.
1: Well, yeah, thank you, if you are.
0: Well, our topic today, I have pondered this topic for a while. And I think we tried to do it a couple times, and it didn't go off as well as we wanted. But so many things have happened recently that just makes me burn to discuss it. Burns your biscuits, huh? It
1: burns your biscuits.
0: It burns my biscuits, but not in a way that you think. I'm not, and maybe I should be angry, but I'm not angry. And and I've had conversations over the last two weeks that have brought me to this point. Um, a little backstory: um, I went to college early, left because I had Julian. And so I didn't go back again until Julian had finished so I finished school late Um, But I was so energized. I took multiple subjects. Okay, one of them being African Studies uh, and um, We're taught by some of the greatest and Some of the people I'm going to mention today were actually, you know, professors as well but the topic that I picked for today's discussion was race. Okay. And I want to travel back a little bit in time, but for no reason other than I just like Nikki Giovanni. She has a poem that whatever I'm feeling a certain way about something, I read. Okay. And it's from her book, Acolytes. And it's um, paint me like I am. I know this is difficult to grow up. It always was, it will always will be. I know this, nobody can tell you how to do it. You must make the same mistakes and just thrill to the same excitement. I know this, life is a good idea. I think it's illogical to assume that there's no other life in the universe. I think the possibility of recreating ourselves is in our hands. I think humans are not the only thinking beings. We just happen to be the only species that we respect. It is our loss. We need to listen to those who are forming. We need to hear the cries of those in pain. We need to respect the fear and embrace the longing of those who are new to the wilderness. I know imagination is a good idea. I know forging forward must embrace creativity. I know humans will shrivel from emotional needs before we die of starvation or dehydration. The body will take care of itself. We need food for the soul. We need poetry. We deserve poetry. We owe it to ourselves to recreate ourselves and find a different, if not better, way to live. Paint me hopeful, paint me futuristic, paint me Nikki, I'm a poet. I just, I just love that. I think that, although at the, I could even, instead of saying paint me Nikki, I could say paint me Gail. Mm-hmm. And if anything, at this time where we are, we kind of need some of that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to start off the conversation about race I think we're lacking in definition of what race is. Okay, how
1: would you define it?
0: Well, it's not how I define it. I actually looked it up. And as Berlin likes to say, Google it. So I googled it. And ironically, the definition came up, a competition between runners, horses, vehicles, boats, and etc to which is the fastest in covering a certain course. A strong or rapid f- current flowing through a narrow channel in the sea or a river. And I thought that was interesting. Instead of something talking about color, creed, you know, differences, it, it's actually about a race. And who was that from? And this was just Google. Um, it said definitions from the Oxford language. Okay. So I just thought that was really kind of interesting. So it made me do a little research to find out when did the definition flip to be about human categories? Ironically, it was in the late 1600s, 1700s.
1: Might be a little bit earlier than that because blackness was created in the 14th hundred. But that's but the definition of race as we know it with whiteness and blackness. Um yeah, whiteness wasn't introduced but blackness Well yeah I was just going by the Oxford
0: dictionary. It said by the seventeenth century the term began to refer to physical traits.
1: Yeah. Blackness was defined in the fourteen hundreds.
0: And then the physical traits that it actually referred to was interesting too. It actually only had three physical traits. And I knew I wasn't gonna find it. Mongoloid. Caucasoid and Negroid. Thank you. And I just thought that was interesting. But the most interesting part to me was 17, the late 1600s, 1700s, what was going on in America?
1: Um, well yeah it was slavery and i know that there well, is actually
0: the indians it was they had just white folks came over and had to deal with indians somebody that didn't look like them mm-hmm. so they had to put them in a category we seem to need to put people in categories we can't just be oh they're us just that they happen to live here i I
1: would push back um because again blackness was defined prior before then and I mean even in this like with the 1619 project as well there were black people who were brought to the con- to this country um unnamed black people and they were basically sold off um But then on top of it, I mean, human beings do that anyways, regarding sorting. I mean, and that's always been a thing where we sorted people through what they looked like, but it didn't define who you were, if that makes any type of sense.
0: Okay. And it does. And I just and I also really like the first definition that I found that it's race and they're going someplace and it's a it's a small space we all have to get through. And that sort of seems like what's going on in America. It's you know, we're trying to all get through this same space. Yeah.
1: I mean, I would define race as an arbitrary made up, categorization of humans that basically pit us against one another um, I think it's fake I understand that it's real in the scheme of society but in the same way that money has no value like a piece of paper has no value until you give it meaning
0: mm-hmm.
1: race is basically the same thing for me um, because just based on the Human Genome Project that was unveiled in, what was it, year 2000? I mean, we're basically all the same creature or human beings. We're all, we're more alike than we're not. And when we're not alike, it's basically individual differences. So every human being on this planet is of the same quote-unquote species and race true. so and we're all related somehow some way to one another by a common ancestor so race to me as I understand it is fake as hell but I do understand that we live in a world and a society where race quote-unquote is pushed on us and we can't see past color for the most part or a certain characteristic about ourselves to see the human in other people but we've done it for so long the 1400s to 1600s that it just it's normal to us because that's all we know
0: this is true
1: but someone's profiting off of it
0: Well now, the definition of race in sociology. Sociologists define race as a concept that is used to significantly, to signify different types of human bodies. While there is no biological basis, what you just said, for racial classifications, sociologies recognize a long history of attempts to organize people based on similar skin and physical appearance i'm so smart i'd be paying attention and uh, i also study sociology <laughs> so and paying that attention. was that and that brought me to i wonder sometime if people when they're yelling out words and saying things do they do like their due diligence and kind of know what that word means
1: i would say a hard no
0: yes i i, I would have to definitely agree with you on that And then we're gonna move on to the color of justice. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing, and I keep saying that word interesting. I'm gonna stop a minute. One of the things I like about going back and doing some research with textbooks that I kept and noting the year of most of these textbooks, they were the late 1996 Mm -hmm. in that realm. And the definitions of some things were, were very interesting. I think now people use the word race where we in the 60s may have called it discrimination. You're How dis- so? You're discriminating, but now there are two forms of the word discriminating. There's one that I relate to you, Berline, that is a positive. You may have discriminating taste of wine, discriminating taste of food Mm -hmm. where you're just not going to eat any old junky food. You're going to eat good food. You're looking for the best of it to enjoy. And you're not really like saying something is bad. You're just saying this is better. Or this is for me. It's for you. You have a discriminating taste buds even to like discriminating in the style of clothes that you wear that fits you it's really something that relates to you then that would more so be of a preference but
1: i see where it's right and
0: it's like a positive thing and then there's the negative discrimination where it goes against something and in this case it's against people it's against a lifestyle, it's against a color, it's against a hair, where we just go against it. Where to such a degree that we've made laws to, a, to, to enforce that. I mean, is there a law anywhere that you can think of that says you have to eat food before the expiration date?
1: No, they're just guidelines.
0: They're like, God, there's actual, they made laws what you can't do if you're black.
1: Well, again, it's part going back to, you know, I like to say, follow the money. Sometimes you have to follow where the power leads. And in order to keep a certain set of individuals down, you need a cooperating majority to go along with it. So back to that whole whiteness that we spoke Mm -hmm. about, the taboo of whiteness you know whiteness such as race when the Italians were coming over and the Greeks were coming over and Chinese people were coming over to the United States they were highly discriminated against as well they were not thought of as being white or part part of this they were
0: intruders
1: So that there was a a negative connotation with them being here. But eventually, you know, they have to, I think the ruling majority of whites Mm -hmm. knew that they couldn't alienate them for so long without them seeing humanity in us as well. And the same thing that happened, I think with, I think is it John Punch? It was the John Punch case, and if I'm incorrect, I'll like go back and, you know, but it was the John Punch case in the 1600s, and there was an Irish guy and a black guy and a someone else, and they all ran off together from, and they were considered indentured servants at that point in time. So, what occurred was that whoever the powers that be, realize that you have an, uh, an Irish person and a black person and someone else banding together to say what we're going through isn't, it's all the same. We can't differentiate it. And it's so bad that we want to get away. And eventually, so they gave the Irish person years of more indentured servitude, but then they gave the black person life. Mm -hmm. in servitude, basically making it law that a black person would become into servitude. And I think if we were to fast forward with the folding in of who considers themselves to be white in America now, it's kind of that, oh, we don't want you here and you're, quote unquote, undesirable. But we know we can't keep you there. For so long with these people, so let's let's give you a little bit of whiteness, and they accept it.
0: And that brings me to the the institutionalized dis- discrimination, mm-hmm. and they it had to be institutionalized, and it basically involved racial disparities to the outcomes were more against African Americans than anyone else. Yeah just what you said because they could recognize us faster and that they had and i i think we've always been smart people always that was recognized and you, you have to put it put laws into place to control that and that's part of the discrimination and that is so good that you bring that out about other races that came here that somehow and initially got caught up in it, but were immediately, like you say, when they recognized this isn't gonna go well. To keep them off, And and let me be clear, I'm not speaking of, this is the entire white American race banning together. There there was a certain group that this was important to them. Oh yeah. And this was the group that, that held most of the money and it was to the point that it also in the book of color of justice it explains how the first explanation builds that conflict theory that there are laws put in place for power Mm -hmm. and the laws that were put in place for power were based upon either economic landowners people who had some you know some type of power either you got voted into an office and that g- gleaned you power but most people who got voted in the office early on had to own land because mm-hmm. you had to have some money to sustain you while you were there and then the second explanation for the harsher penalties for other than whites or those deemed to be white was to they understood early on unless we can corral them in some way pretty soon we won't be able to tell who's who
1: yeah i think again like um back to like martin luther king and when he started talking about poor people that this was more of a poor person's fight than it was a race thing let's let's take race out of it and let's make it a class thing and the thing is when white people will hold on to their whiteness even though their situation isn't better than a black person They're not making more money. They have the same or less education than some of us, but they will hold on to that whiteness versus voting or acting in their best interest. And the thing is, is that what you have to, what I've realized is that with people is that they act irrationally. Well,
0: and I'll tell, it's not really irrationally when you think it out. Here you have laws being made that are inflicting one group of people more than others and it it said this explanation suggests that crimes involving african-american victims are not taken as seriously so if you're black in the 30s 40s 50s 60s today you call the police that somebody is outside trying to break into your car they're looking to see what kind of car you're talking about. Now, if my white neighbor calls and says, I think somebody here is trying to break into my car, they're going to show up and be more of which the Mercedes here, because their assaults are more serious than assaults against African Americans. So if you're a, a person who's not in the same economic class as others, of course you're going to hang on to that whiteness because i want to be considered when something happens to me they really show up
1: yeah what was i watching today i I was just literally watching it on pbs and it was talking about how the mind can be hacked i don't know the title of it but they were it just kept it was little clips and they went into policing and biases And what they found was, you know, just listening to, I think it was some university, they were partnering with Yale and they were basically seeing how the dialogue would go in police stops. So in the police stops, there was a huge difference with white people being apologized to for being stopped white people being aware of why they're being stopped very early on. Um, There was, the interaction was just that different than a black person who would be told, they probably wouldn't, weren't told why they were stopped initially. The interaction wasn't pleasant and they were treated more aggressively. Mm -hmm. So in more instances, even in the way that policing, which is a white supremacist tool Um, The way they go about it, it's never going to be to a black, well, hopefully it will, and that's what we're pushing for. But as we speak today, it's not in a black person's best interest for the police to be on your side because your interaction with them may lead to your death or may lead to serious harm.
0: And the interesting thing is they there are still researchers that fail to adequately explain why that happens.
1: They why, still What can't. happens?
0: They can't adequately explain why those who victimize whites are treated more harshly than those who vic- victimize African-Americans.
1: I think it just might be a bias. I, I, I think there's a dehumanization of especially black people in this country, that it doesn't allow other people. And I mean, again, this is like a 400 year.
0: Well, and uh, part of that too is the people you're asking that do a lot of research for things like this. All all right. Come with biases. And they don't really want to explain a lot of these biases. I'm sorry, I called. Oh, Oh, I didn't know what you were doing. Now, my next book. And this will all tie together at the end, I promise. Black resistance, white law. There is a very interesting passage in this. I don't know if you've ever heard of this gentleman. Uh, Julius Lester. He wrote the book, Look Out, Whitey, Black Powers, Gonna Get Your Mama. Okay. And it was written in 1968 and he wrote this what i'm about to read in 1968 and i should have let you think it was not told you the the year but he says law and order must prevail has become the cliche of the 1960s the biggest lie because the american black man has never known law and order except as an instrument of oppression Mm -hmm. and it has prevailed upside his head at every available opportunity. It exists for that purpose. The law has been written by white men for the protection of white men and their property to be enforced by white men against blacks in particular and poor folks in general. Now, if you didn't know that it was Something written in 1960, you might think that we might have some of our leaders speaking and saying the exact same thing now. Yes,
1: President Tangerine Head is running on a campaign I, I'm of like, law and is order. Is he
0: studying black history?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think he's... I
0: think he lived it.
1: I don't think he's studying black history. I think he is... I don't think he's a student of history. I think he's a student of power. Yeah, um, so let's not give him that much credit, but I think he's just a, his, you know, it's it's more of a power play for him than it is anything else. And how do you keep that power? Because he represents the plutocracy. He, he's not, I don't know what he's worth. That's like a big word. Everyone
0: may not know. Plutocracy. Yes. Okay. So let's just, cause I'm like, what she say? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take <laughs> the hit. <laughs> plutocracy. What is plutocracy? Uh, so
1: this is about races in general? It's, hold on. A plutocracy is a society that is ruled or controlled by people of great wealth or income.
0: Well, you know, and that flows right to what I was going to say that in this book, in this particular book, it says that the reason we have laws this it says that the government allocates military power now. This is back in the 60s as anything else to defend those who are its friends. Now, where do we hear that recently? And to injure those that are its enemies, so long as the government possesses a virtual monopoly of military power and is. Unencumbered by widespread internal disorder such as that which occurred during the Civil War, white Americans apparently see no need to deal seriously with the factors that caused black rebellion. And here we are at the same spot again. Well, funny thing is, too, like... <sighs>
1: Cheeto's administration just—I think as I read it this morning, but I don't know if it went through last night—where they don't want to fund mm. the critical race theory um, in the government, so and, they want to and stop. Why
0: not? Because they're not his friends. Well, I think
1: part you of it happens friends. to do with you having to acknowledge racism and the impacts that it has. So the fact that we're taking that away or he's taking that away for however long that he's here, um, says a lot. I I think again, the rule back in, what was it? It was a few years ago that they realized that whites were going to be a minority and that is, there's a fear that's going on with white people being told that by 2040, which is a pivotal year, and it's only 20 years from now Mm -hmm. that they are not going to be the majority anymore and non people of color. Now it really doesn't matter to be honest because white people will probably try to sustain it such as South Africa did where you're a minority but you would still rule over the majority. And I think that's where they're trying to take it Uh, because the power is not going to be relinquished in a way that we foresee it, even if people of color are the majority. They're just finding, Mm -hmm. I think Trump is... Trump is a manifestation of their fear of losing power because the things that, and his rhetoric, even in his campaign, I think his education campaign or his talking points were a privatization of schools and to teach American exceptionalism. And that American exceptionalism isn't black i mean, when they're talking about american they're not talking about black people they're not talking about hispanics they're not talking about others so i think that's where that kind of is rolling into where we're seeing that fascism come into place and that nationalism come into place and that nationalism does not include people of color
0: and this is the the tragedy of the races is that Here we are in 2020, and we're still talking law and order to control who? We're not really talking about controlling terrorists because a terrorist can run amok.
1: Well, the terrorists are already here.
0: You know, we're talking about controlling people who live here, are here, have been here for a very long time, and you're still trying to control that group of people. Yeah. And you're making laws that will do that. And and, and you're maintaining, you're not making, you're maintaining these laws. And this is something that I, when I studied it, I was incensed to think that there was laws against what color you married. Mm-hmm. There were laws about you couldn't be three or four black people on a corner; you could be immediately arrested, if not worse. And these are things that, or you had the sundown towns well, too. Yeah, and have they? And, and I was in New Jersey, so I didn't see it as other places did, that were far more severe and what has really changed is that somewhere along the line we became comfortable with our race who black people comfortable how we became comfortable in okay well we can go to their schools we can go to their oh colleges, integration and um i can even i can marry a white man if i want to and no one's going to arrest me i you know uh, We can marry outside of our race. So we have really moved along. We're in a different place. But when I went back and pulled out my school books, I'm like, really? Because it sounds like if I didn't put what year, you would think this happened this year.
1: Yeah, there's a um, there is a backtracking that we're seeing. There's a regression that's occurring in this country. Um, There's tribalism that's occurring. I kind of think that we are in a civil war, but aren't aware of it Mm -hmm. because we are so divided. And I think history will tell that the moment and the brewing that we are in right now is a civil war. It might be on social media or it might be via text or however the, the mode of Twitter that is going through, but right now we are in a, we're polarized. And we can't get past our individual differences to really recognize that we have larger issues at hand as a species. You know, we could probably have really good schooling in America for every single child We could have really good health care in America for every single person if we weren't so discriminatory in our practices. Because to give a fair and equal shot to all would require you stop discriminating against your scapegoat group, which are black people, and being able to say, here, everybody gets an equal footing. That's not what we want to do. And that's not what I think, on top of it, too, white people have a shoulder to bear in this as well because they move progress quicker than us demanding it, too. So when they're on board, that every single child, no matter where you are, has quality education and everyone has. You know, universal basic income, and that everyone has a standard, will be okay. But we can't be okay because people are like, well, they didn't work hard enough for that, and yes, or whatever the case may be. Or we don't like want to give a they handout. They There's
0: twelve liquor stores in the neighborhood, so they don't care about education. Well i'm pretty sure that if they had a choice there wouldn't be 12 liquor stores
1: i would ask too when you look up who owns those liquor stores thank you to see whether or not they're black owned to see whether or not those corner stores are black owned and i think again it it requires a lot of introspection i have this whole thing in my head that i think you know and I'm not talking about all white people in this instance, and I'm, I'm also talking about people who aren't black as well, that there's a, there's a world that they live in that isn't quite reality. Yes. And to reckon with the fact that where you got in life really wasn't because of your own merit, but because of you being born to a white family or however your skin looks, but not black, then that's a lot to reckon with, because you have to say to yourself, maybe I'm not as good. Maybe, you know what I mean? So I don't envy that, and I think that's part of it too, is that once you have that moment when you realize, hey, my whiteness had a great deal with where I am in life and my station in life, And it's no fault of your own, of course. Um, That's a lot to reckon with. And I think a lot of people just abandon that thought as soon as it comes through. When that pushback comes in, they're like, well, you know, nothing I can do
0: about it. Well, and then there's also the fact of laws. If you're, I I didn't realize until I went away to college the first time, my roommate came from middle America. She had never in life, seen a black person, I mean, ever in her little town, there wasn't one. And when she flew in to the um, New York airport and saw all these different races, she was terrified. But she was most terrified of black people because she grew up believing that all the laws that so many laws were in place about robbery and murder and all of this is because in those inner city places where all these black people are, they gotta have laws like that for them. And so she, that's what she was nurtured on. And when she came to this little Catholic college and realized, whoa, okay. Her first words at her mouth to us were like, and it was only four of us black kids at this school. She said, when my parents come for Parents' Day, please act like you don't know me because my father will rip me out to school if he knows I made a black friend because I was specifically told not to. And he didn't know any either. He'd never met any. Yeah, this, it's a
1: tribalism um, that occurs. And I think, again, that's by design. Yes. I'll give America this. I will give America this. It's been playing chess and not checkers when it comes to race, discrimination, laws, you know, any kind of benefit. They are playing chess. Um, But at the same time, that's by design as well to keep black and white people separate because the more I get to know people who are different or who you start to either confront that bias or you realize, hey, it doesn't matter. And I think that's the beauty of growing up in Miami. Um, And Miami, mind you, is segregated in its own ways and rights as well, Um, but just differently. It is diverse, but I have a diverse group of friends And I think the more you get to know people who are different, that stereotype that we all have, if you're willing and open, you realize, A, that's not true. It doesn't apply to, quote unquote, all of them. And B, maybe some of the things that you were taught aren't actually true. But I think a lot of it takes unlearning. And I don't think a lot of us were even taught much. A lot of us don't, didn't learn in the beginning.
0: And then it's, you know, even though she came to college, she met black people. Her father met us and we weren't horrible people. Um, when she got married, n- none of the black girls were invited to the wedding.
1: Do what you got to do. Because it,
0: it didn't change where she lived. Yeah. I mean, and whenever, um, for like many years in, until um, her parents passed, when she ever visited this way, we always all got together. So, but she put us in a pocket, and I understand that was her survival thing. And again, if you grow up in places where your whole relationship to another group are the laws that are in place, or the TV and the violence that you that you constantly hear then yes you want more law and order but it doesn't bring peace to anyone it doesn't we're not growing out of this bubble I
1: mean one could hope we get there I um, am normally optimistic about certain things I think those who want to get it there's always gonna be a group of people who who want to keep other people separate. Always. Um, and there are going to be some Rich, people. Rich, poor, color. Yes. Um, and if those are not your people, those are not. I say find your people. If those are not your people, they're not your people. Um, but I, I would say, I would hope that those who want a better world for our children and our children's children and something that is more fair and more just that we demand it, but first we learn about what's there and then we get to see how we can do some unlearning because the school system is set up to be discriminatory, housing is set up to be discriminatory, wages are set up to be discriminatory I mean, it's stifling when you think about it, but how do we get on that other side if you don't believe that to be true?
0: And what is the phrase that they're using now about race that it means has been perpetuated all along? I can't think of a word now but it means that it's it's always been discrimination, it's always been a race issue, and it's always stemmed from the law.
1: I mean, they're basically saying like there's always been-
0: Systemic racism. Systemic racism comes out of the law. Yeah. And that's the key to keeping things in place. Because what police department Needs to have armored cars. What police department needs to have full body gear? Mm -hmm. It is just, we've just lost focus that these, we are not fighting some unknown thing. These are our neighbors.
1: I don't, to push back, I, I don't think. I think we're fine tuning everything.
0: Yes, um, we are.
1: I think um, we're streamlining everything. I think the internet has made it a little bit more possible. I don't think that every person that sees a black person thinks of them as a neighbor um, or someone who was different than <laughs> them.
0: <laughs> or they see you in the neighborhood and they're like, do you live
1: here? I know. <laughs> I, yes. So
0: again, <laughs> I got asked that and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm light bright and I'm like, I'm asked. No, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been asked. me. Have
1: I haven't been asked. But um But yeah, it yeah, I I just think that there's just a fine tuning of discrimination and racism and I think if we're not paying attention it's going to get worse before it gets better.
0: Oh, it's it's going to stay in a state of rebellion until the rebellion is quelled. You know one way or the other. My Haitian self loves a good rebellion. I
1: like a revolution. And I think again, America is at its point it's at a tipping point. It can't sustain America is a young country. Contrary yeah. to to most people's and beliefs. And most people
0: don't even think of it in that terms, it's, but it, you're absolutely correct it is. It's
1: a young country. And um we're at a point where we have to kind of figure out I think about it this way. Uh what is America like 200 300 years old? If we were to put that into
0: 1776. No, I'm talking about
1: America itself. Oh, okay. (laughs) Talking about America itself. So 1776. So we're almost close to being 300 years old. That's a baby. It's a baby. You got to think about it as if we were to go to psychology We don't even keep
0: our buildings around. (laughs)
1: Yes. So as a baby, when they're around the age of two, they're basically in the terrible twos. Mm Mm-hmm. So you have to, we have Mm -hmm. to figure out as the parents of this nation, because we're the caretaker of it. It's the
0: toddler that's running it.
1: (laughs) Yes. So we're basically in our terrible twos and we have to realize, are we going to let this child continue to be a badass child? Or are we going to mold and shape that child to where we want that child to go? And I think... As caretakers of this country, we have to recognize where we are as a nation and where and get as idealistic as we can, because America is based on an idea. Race is an idea. You know, Mm -hmm. get to a point where we can say this is the future that we want everyone to have. And continue to work towards that and to dismantle the the gears and the mechanisms that are in place that are discriminatory that are you know oppressive but we have to kind of figure that out and I think quite frankly that's where we're at that's why we're having like you have the mom you know trying to hold this child together and then you have the dad that's like oh he's okay
0: and we're well, not okay. Yeah. And we're, we're living in a, a state of fear, various levels for various reasons, but fear will make you do crazy things. Yeah. And we have to get past that point of fear. And in my, my last book, Shades of Freedom, a Radical Politics and Presumptions of the American Legal Process, was written by A. Leon Higginbotham, Jr., Um, One of his, he actually came and spoke to our class. He was a judge in uh, Pennsylvania. And he wrote several things on race and the law. And one of his people that he looked to for inspiration was uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall. And Justice Marshall was very, on the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm helped pass a lot of laws. And he, with the law, he used the law to to be productive, to be movement, Mm -hmm. to, to show that the law does not see color. And he had two, his last speech, one of the last speeches that he made was July 4th, 1992. And it was, at, it was a, he got a, a Liberty Bell Award. And I don't know if, if you know about the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It has a little crack and everything, and you can go see it. You used to be able to touch it. I've touched it a few times before they put it away. And this speech moved me. I wish I could say that racism and prejudice were only distant memories and that liberty and equality was just around the bend. I wish I could say that America has come to appreciate diversity and to see and accept similarities. But as I look around, I'm not, I'm, wait a minute, I have to get into the light, excuse me. I see not a nation of unity, but of division. Afro and white, indigenous and immigrant, rich and poor, educated and illiterate. But there is a price to pay for division and isolation. We cannot play ostrich. Democracy cannot flourish amid fear. Liberty cannot bloom amid hate. Justice cannot take aim at rage. We must go against the prevailing wind. We must dissent from the indifference. We must dissent from the apathy. We must dissent from the fear, the hatred, and the mistrust. We must dissent from a government that has left its young without jobs, education, or hope. We must dissent from the poverty of vision and the absence of moral leadership. We must dissent because Americans can do better, because America has no choice but to do better. Take a chance, won't you? Knock down the fence that divides tear apart the wall that imprisons reach out freedom lies just on the other side and i'm not saying this to say you should go knock down somebody's wall or anything but those words spoken back in 1992 are just as important now and meaningful black white asian i don't care what your race i don't care what your creed reach across the aisle Be dissenters in the positive direction. That's the only thing that's going to change it. That's the only thing that's going to help this toddler learn to walk in a proper manner, not be hindered. Let's not have this toddler, as you put it, you know, with like big old ugly shoes and tearing up stuff. And it's up to us.
1: Yeah, we're We're looking for leaders
0: to do what we have to do. We got to be really careful who we put in office. I don't care if you say you're afraid of this, afraid of that. Don't vote for fear. Vote for someone that's really going to say, America, you're important. People, you're important. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. We can put our arms across the aisle and you know, less dissent in that way.
1: Yeah, I think voting this upcoming election will probably be one of it, it'll be a, it's going to be critical into yes. where we will go as a nation. Um, I don't think that this nation could take another four years of a Cheeto. I. Um, but at the same time we have to as people and as the caretakers of this union demand and you know really hold whoever we have in office especially if it's not the cheeto to the standard where we want to move our needle because we cannot continue to regress in the way that we have we have to protect This place, we have to protect this earth. We have to protect our future children. And this election will basically prove where we are going as a nation. And I promise you, if Trump is in office again, I am counting my years down in this country. I'm gone.
0: Well, I like to say that don't vote your prejudices. Don't vote your hates. Vote your likenesses. Vote that you really wanna see a good America for everyone. Because there there are all walks of life here. There are some too rich, some too poor. Vote like you want everybody to survive. Not that this little group in the house where you live or the block you live in. You want everybody to survive. Yeah. And, and that's important. I don't want to have to read, you know, if I should be alive 20, 30 years from now, still reading about the 60s like it is happening. I don't want to see the 60s happening in 2050. Let, let's get past this. Let's mm. have a new thing to look at, a new thing to talk about.
1: Yep. I hope. Well,
0: yeah. Keep hope alive.
1: As they say.
0: Well, thank you. I, I sir. I, that was that. Did I do good? I did. I did a Berlin thing. I did research. No,
1: <laughs> it was good. It was good. Okay. And I think it was worth having the conversation. Um, and again, if you are able to vote, vote like your life depended on it because it, it does. It truly does. And if he has another four years in office where those, you know, normally the second four years are like, dude, whatever happens, happens because I ain't going to run again. Um, I'm pretty sure that this man is going to wreck havoc in a way that we are not prepared to. And he's an imbecile.
0: Well, and if he should, let's. You know, hold his feet to the fire more so than we have ever done before.
1: And then you guys can donate to my GoFundMe so that I can become an expatriate. No, we're not. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, on that note, we say be safe. That was
1: mine. Be safe.
0: (laughs) Be well. Be easy. And be blessed. Bye. (laughs) Bye. And I read it. I know. I'm so sick.